Well, you'll know the song I'm going to quote. It goes like this. He's making a list. He's checking it twice because he's going to find out who's naughty or nice. There's someone coming to town. Now, if you didn't know that song, and my apologies if that is new to you, but that's a song about a guy called Santa Claus. You may have heard of him, seen him around a bit. Um, There's pictures. He's appeared in different places, the marketplace, that sort of thing. But Santa Claus has become a controversial figure. Uh, I don't know about your household, but uh, we, in our household, we just, we're not really big on Santa Claus. That's just who we are, and, and uh, that's okay. So we often meet people that are. Uh, people often say to our kids, oh, what's Santa going to bring you? And they say, he's not real. And then we, we're there sort of picking up the pieces, like, ah, oh, yeah, you know, because they just, kids just say it how it is. Not long ago, this, of course, hit our televisions, this whole controversy. You may remember this. Um, I watched it happen live, and it was like, well, I can't believe this is actually happening, but it is. But not many years ago, Australian comedian Kitty Flanagan, you know who she is? Uh, she gave away the biggest spoiler in the world on the project. Uh, so if you know that TV show, and she said this about Santa, I'm going to quote her. He's a man that doesn't even exist. Now, when those words came out of her mouth, you thought, well, that's fairly innocuous, isn't it? Like most grown-ups would agree. You kind of hope. You know, we're a society that likes to believe in things like science and history and testing truths. So we kind of know, like even though my favourite kids' little show at the moment is Stick Man, if you know that one. Stick Man is a man that gets lost away from his family home. And it kind of hits you in the heart, but then Santa Claus finds him and takes him home. Do you think, well, Santa Claus, we know that there's, you know, a, a guy that's able to visit every household in the world in one night. We, we just, grown-ups get this, right? I'm just hoping that's okay with you to, and online. But when Kitty Flanagan said that, the uproar was enormous. Like it was all over the news. People wrote into the project. People tweeted and Facebooked and I don't know if they're Instagramming. It's hard to Instagram anger, isn't it? But that's how they felt. One mother said this, The damage is done. The damage is done for Christmas. My kids will never be the same. Why doesn't Kitty show her face and apologise to all the Australian children? The anger was palpable. It was visceral. You could feel it. Another parent, the father said, I've only just got my kids to sleep. Tears, heartbreak and questions concerning Santa tonight. I am appalled and very angry. I can't fix this one. End quote. Dads like to fix things. This dad could not fix this. I mean, I spend most of my time in public places fixing the fact that my kids say we don't believe in Santa, and I think I can get away with it, by and large. But this one, how could you not fix this one? Well, the project had to respond, of course, as we do in our society. With such outrage, you have to respond and apologise for everything that's outraging people, and this is what the project said. 
Friends, don't worry, tonight we'll be crossing to Santa in the North Pole so he can clear up any confusion for our younger viewers, and that's what they did. So they got someone dressed up and they crossed. Santa Claus is real. We're all cool. We're a cool hip show. In other words, please keep watching us. See, I suspect that the Christmas story of the Christ is kind of like Santa Claus in our society. It's kind of lost in the myth, gets lost in our minds. The Christ of Christmas, I think even amongst people that are of a church, it would be possible, isn't it possible, that we could think he's distant, not really you know, connected to my life, not really relevant. And we treat Christmas, therefore, differently, don't we? We have to, because we've rewritten the story. If Christ is not central to Christmas, we have to rewrite it in some other way. People actually, that's their job to do so, to make money by writing it a different way. What does Christmas then become? It becomes an opportunity for family. If you ask the average Joe or Jane, what is Christmas about? It's about family, isn't it? Christmas is, if it's not about family, it's about finding meaning in other places. Um, perhaps it's finding meaning in partying or just consumption. We celebrate, oh, I ate so much. Like Christmas is the time where you can let go of all inhibitions when it comes to consuming. Christmas, I think, has become a search for meaning. Many Australians look for meaning. They want meaning out of this day. I think the kerfuffle on the project was exactly what's going on. The kerfuffle on the project with the, whole, the outrage and the whole Santa Claus thing, look, you need to scratch beneath the surface. What's really going on in people's hearts? What is going on with a parent that says, I can't fix this one? What is going on with a mother that says, you've actually torn apart my kids' lives? Why are they saying that? Because Christmas for them has become a search for meaning. We want to find meaning in this thing, in this day, in this celebration, that we can give meaning to our children or meaning to our family or meaning to ourselves. It's a search for meaning. And I think what that shows is we're not finding it. Humans are wired for meaning. Like we're designed for it. We're designed to have a search for meaning. Augustine, an ancient theologian of the church fathers said, our hearts have got a hole in them, a God-shaped hole, and they're restless till we find our rest in him. We search for meaning where we're constantly... When I was growing up and we first had mobile phones, so our first mobile phones didn't have... um, Apps, right? I remember my first, my first text message I ever saw. I was just like, "What? They're sending words through the phone." <laughs> As I held my Nokia brick with a leather case for some reason. And then the only app we had, of course, was Snake. <laughs> and with Snake, you know. Imagine getting that app on Christmas Day or that phone, just like all day. I haven't touched, I haven't touched. Oh, look how long it is. But in those days, those phones had a feature. They were always on roam, right? So today we we just bust out our phone and and we just guarantee it's got service, right? Everywhere you go, it's like, you know, usually it's got service. But I grew up in the country and, and it was always on roam. It was always searching for the nearest service, always searching for, to connect. Searching to connect it was always on Rome, and that's, that's the feature the phone had. It would say it was on Rome. It was looking, 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 and then it would connect. That's what our hearts do. 
Our hearts are constantly on roam, searching for meaning. We're wired for it. And if we don't find meaning in Christ, and look, cards on the table, I'm a preacher, this is a church, we're all about Jesus Christ. If you're tuning in online, we're all about Christ. And as people point out in social media, all sorts of places, the word Christmas has the word Christ in it. If we don't find meaning in Christ, we'll try and find it in something else and we'll never get it. And I think not finding meaning in Christ at Christmas, trying to find meaning in other things, always disappoints us and ends up actually devaluing what Christmas could be about. See, if we don't have Christmas based in Christ, if it's on something else, if it's not shaped around the grace of God, it becomes default human reboot. Like you, you reboot the human heart, what happens? We always default not to grace. We always default to living by performance for others and for ourselves, legalism. All licentiousness, yes, but they're both symptoms of the same problem, not finding our joy in the grace of God who is Jesus. So when Christmas comes, what does Christmas become for us today of all days? I think for the grown-ups, but even for the kids, teenagers especially, today becomes a day where we evaluate, am I naughty or nice? Is my life good enough? And not just for God, mind you, even if we have a God consciousness, but for my parents, my peers, my friends, my family. How am I going? Christmas Day becomes for us grown-ups a report card. What do I deserve today? What do I don't deserve today? It becomes our side is celebration of how I'm going in life. Because if it's just up to the Santa Claus myth or that societal myth, Christmas is just a measure of human performance. Is it just about being naughty or nice? Friends, there is one verse that summarises what Christmas is about. It's 1 Timothy 1.15. Let's read it. We need this on today of all days. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. The Apostle Paul writes to his ministry apprentice, come colleague, Timothy. He's writing about church life and he says right from the get-go, he inserts his testimony, his story, with a trustworthy saying. So if, if I was to tell you, here's a trustworthy saying, don't put your finger in the light socket. It's fairly trustworthy, isn't it? Um, don't do this to your brother. Trustworthy saying. But if God says it in God's word, I mean, if God gives a trustworthy saying, it's going to be true as a given, isn't it? But this statement is trustworthy because it's easily proven to be true. Like this is so easy to prove that it's true. And the trustworthiness of the statement starts with, we're sinners. We're sinners. 
That's not well accepted, though, in our society. We're getting to the point that if you were to say on the project, we're all just a bunch of sinners anyway, I don't know which way that'll go. Like, maybe five, ten years ago, it might go the way of saying, you know, and going, um, yeah, I'm a sinner, you're a sinner. But maybe not, this. maybe that's kind of almost offensive, isn't it? I wonder if you feel a slight offence in it. I'm not a sinner. Like, I'm not that bad. Maybe we would say, I'm just human. I'm merely human. That's the point. I mean, we've been in Genesis recently, and we've seen from the beginning to be human, to be in the line of Adam, that family, to to be us, is to be sinners, is to be broken, it's to be fallen, it's to be failing, it's to be needing forgiveness from one another, but also from God. Because we've all done what we did at the Tower of Babel. What was the Tower of Babel? You know that tower on the plain? They built a tower to make a name for themselves. They built a tower for their own security. We do this all the time. They built a tower to say with a sign, we don't need God. Now, what was that tower? It was basically human society giving the finger to God. That's what that tower was about. We do that. By natural default, we, we rebel against him. But you know what we also do? We ignore him. It's like God calls out, how are you going? Happy Christmas. And we go, yeah. We might give him a little bit of notice on a day like today, but that's about it. We don't relate to him. We don't know his love for us. In fact, we don't believe that he loves us. That's the lie of the garden, the lie of the fall, that we believe that he doesn't love us. We can't trust him and we don't relate to him with love. We're sinners. A few years ago, I was at a, a university conference and there happened to be next door an atheist conference, which is interesting. And so I thought I'd go along because I, I love meeting new friends. So I'm sitting there in the atheist conference with a few of my friends. We're Christians, so that was, you know, happy to share that and let you know that. Uh, so here's Christians talking with atheists at their conference, came to a question time, and they turned the question time into a questioning us time, which was also fun. Um, I love talking. I'll talk your ear off and the other one if you give me the moment. And we talked about sin, the reason the world is like this. And one of them got very angry and said, you, you talked about sin. There's no such thing as sin. We're not sinners. I said, oh, okay, well... Let's, let's test that hypothesis. Did you lock your car when you left, left it out in the car park when you came in? Yeah? So? Oh. Did you lock your house or your unit that you left when you came? Yeah, so? Why? I can't trust people. Oh, that's right. Because we're sinners. Can't even trust our friends sometimes. Sometimes our own family we have struggles with. We are genuinely sinners. There is a problem, friends. Can we talk about it? It's the elephant in the room of our world. We are sinners. We actually don't just do wrong things. We are often wrong. And of all days, can we just say on Christmas Day we can see that even more? Is it not possible? See, on Christmas Day, I think we load so much expectation, 
So much sentimentality, so much tradition. We load onto this day. This day has got to be perfect. I don't know about you, but in my family growing up, I love my wider family, and this is not a diss on my wider family, but in my wider family, maybe it's like yours. We had traditions, you know, always having certain things on Christmas Day, doing certain things in a certain way. And if those things weren't done in a certain way, it was easy for us to feel like, Christmas is not perfect, Christmas is... What's the catchphrase? Ruined. But who ruins it? It's me. Like, if I have expectations what other people should be like on Christmas, I'm often ruining it myself. Because I'm a sinner. He's he's just a, a diagnostic tool for me. Maybe it's for you too. You get to the end of Christmas Day today. Just test this out. Use this. Put this in your pocket. Use it later. At the end of Christmas Day, did you get cranky with someone? At the end of Christmas Day, did you grumble about someone? At the end of Christmas Day, did you even, just a little bit, hurt someone? Just with your words. Like, I mean, you're not, you know, sorry boys, not my eight, nine-year-old and uh, seven-year-old, not accidentally hurt each other because your fists were moving, but, but just with your words. Grown-ups. Because boys, grown-ups can hurt people with their words far more sometimes than eight- and seven-year-old boys can with their accidental fists. We use our words, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to say it like that. I didn't mean to use that tone, but you kind of did. Because you know grown-ups are very sophisticated in the way we sin, aren't we? See, we can sin but make it look like we're not sinning. We can do things and say things that kind of like, well, I know this will hurt them and I'll feel good about it, but maybe you won't. Because maybe you know between you and God who sees all things You're a sinner. We need this. Like we need reality because often we go out those doors and we live in a world that wants to suppress reality. Believe the tinsel and pretense of a world that says there's no such thing as human wrong and I am not part of that problem. It says, no, no, no. The world is great, the world is great. Oh, there's problems in Myanmar, but look, it's not in my backyard. Can we just open the next shopping catalogue and forget all about it? Oh, yes, there's problems, there's problems in Ukraine and Ethiopia, but it's not, not in my life. Can we just pretend we can all get along? Why do we need to do that? Because we don't get along. We need something. What do we need? Next part of this phrase. Trustworthy saying, deserving a full acceptance, that this, here's the saying, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Friends, why is this a trustworthy saying? How many years ago we kind of preached through some trustworthy sayings? What makes it a trustworthy saying? Why does Paul write that? He's got a few of them in the pastoral epistles. What makes this a trustworthy saying? Because in the day that this was written, this letter, they didn't have this part of the Bible. They didn't have the New Testament. They didn't have this letter in the church. In fact, they didn't, the Gospels came after many of the letters. What do they have? They've got the Old Testament scriptures fulfilled at Christmas. Christ has come. What else have they got? Preachers and congregations doing what? We didn't do it today, but we do it regularly. We actually say words as well as sing. We say words together. We remind each other of creeds and things that we believe. 
The word credo means I believe. We say that. Now, can you imagine the early church getting together? They've got the Old Testament. They've got Christ has come at Christmas. They've got his death and resurrection and ascension and promise of return as king. And what have they got? They've got each other to gather as a church and say, friends, what do we believe? The saying is trustworthy. And we would say together that Christ Jesus came into the world to be an example for good. Is that what the saying is? You'd want to get that right, wouldn't you? Because you're like, you know what it's like? I do this often. You're singing a song and everyone else is coming in and you come in too early. Oh, no, no. Oh, was that me? Someone else. No, we, we want to get it right. Here's what we need to get right. Christ came to save sinners. We can't save ourselves. We can't, to the parent who wanted to fix it, Friends, we can't fix this one. I don't know if you've tried, but I've tried. Next week on New Year's Day, we'll look at New Year's resolutions. New Year's resolutions, anyone? 45 years old, I've had a few in my life and I've tried. I can't keep them. They're good things to have. I can't fix the sin problem in me. I can't fix it. If sin is at best being naughty, that is not nice, and if at worst is the stuff of evil dictators and despots and criminals and Vladimir Putins and the world, if that's what sin is at worst and best, surely we can say something needs to be done about this. Something does need to fix this. But sin is not just the wrong. Sin is wrong, but it's not just that. Here's what sin does to you. It shrivels your life. Sin sucks the joy out of your life. Sin is like fairy floss, full of false promises. That's going to taste good. I buy that 10 buck fairy floss at the Bendigo show. Wow, that is going to satisfy me forever. So my four-year-old will say, I want this and it's going to make, yeah, I won't need any other food today. But what does fairy floss do? It doesn't satisfy, number one. It tastes sweet for about two seconds, dissipates in the mouth, doesn't fill. What does it also do? It's bad for us. Bad for four-year-olds and 45-year-olds. Because then the sugar goes places it shouldn't go and does things it shouldn't do. That's sin. Sin is bad for us. It's not just wrong. It's never good for us. Do you think it's good to have a heart that lives on bitterness? Do you think that's good for you? Do you, th- you know, one of God's first spoken words to humanity one of his first speaking words to people is asking someone about their anger issues. He says to Cain, do you do well to be angry? Like, is this good for you? I need that asked of my heart. Friends, can I speak to the men in the room? Not because women probably have anger too, but as a bloke, we can often live off anger. I've got to get stuff done just because I'm angry with someone else who didn't get stuff done. We're frustrated. We're... Do we do well to be angry? Is it good for your heart to live in anger? No. It's not. Men or women, boys or girls, it's not. Sin is bad for us. 
And we need someone to deal with it, to fix it, because we can't. We need a, a sin beater and a death defeater. And his name is Jesus. And in Matthew's gospel, of course, he saves us from our sins. We sang that song. Why do we sing songs of longing at Christmas? Because the world was in sin and they're repining. Come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. It's Jesus who's born into the world to deal with the sin problem. Died on a cross. The judge got judged. He's born to die, but then also born to defeat death and live and never die again. Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners. And then Paul finishes by saying this, I'm the worst. See, sin does what we saw in the garden at the fall. It does bad things to us. It makes us play the blame game. Christmas Day is ruined because it's your fault. I've done this, I feel your fault. And we do this with the finger pointing. It's always someone else. When it's healthy and good for us, and I'll I'll show you in a moment, liberating, to actually be able to say this, I am the worst of sinners. And the Apostle Paul wrote this. He has a living memory of his sin. Before he becomes a Christian, before he's converted, he's a man that is rounding up men and women, boys and girls, and putting them in prison for death sentences because they're Christians. So you can imagine every time he pens a letter to the church or preaches to a church, he's looking at people whose relatives, whose friends, whose own church, he has some sort of evil impact. If you're looking for anyone who knows what it's like to be forgiven for their sin, look in the letters of the Apostle Paul. He's a persecutor of the church. But then he's a man who met the Lord Jesus and believed his word. And after encountering Jesus, his whole life is changed forever. Jesus changes everything. And Paul's personal confession is this, I need Jesus. Like, it's not just before he becomes a Christian, mind you, it's his whole life afterwards. I'm the worst. Can we admit that? It actually is good for us. See, when I'm tired with three little children, and they're in the room, I'm not blaming you at all, but here's what my heart is tempted to do, kids is when I'm tired or it's end of Christmas Day or the, the three kids are just making what kids should do. Lots of noise, lots of things going on. What is it easy for me to do is to blame others for my reactions, my sin. What I need to do is show them, show you, I need Jesus too. Paul does. You do. You need Jesus to save you from your sin. You need forgiveness with God. It's not just we're naughty and not nice, but we actually need a heart change. We need to be born again. 
Jesus is born into the world so we can be born again and have a new start. Jesus comes for the naughty. The prerequisite for coming to God is not that you're good, but that you're bad. And that you can admit that. Be honest. Sinners need forgiveness. And on Christmas Day of all days, we need grace. That's a liberating thing to believe, that trustworthy saying. Like if you believe those words, if you had them burn into your brain, if you remember them tonight at 9pm after Christmas Day is sort of kind of finished, when you can reflect on your day which was supposed to be perfect but just wasn't because you're not perfect, you can go, actually, here's what I find joy in. Not regret, not the shame that clings so closely from the year that's been or perhaps your life, but cling to this. Oh, that's the point. The point of Christmas is not that I've got to be good enough, perform well enough, have a perfect day. Here's the point. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I'm the worst. That's liberating to believe. That actually will, that will actually light you up. If you believe that, your life will be different and those around you will notice that difference. In a moment, we're going to sing a song. Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Happens to be my favourite carol, so it's a bit self-indulgent to have it at the end on Christmas Day. You know, this one and an O Holy Night often contend for people's favourite carol list. Why, why do I, here's why I love this one. Because if you can confess, if you can say this trustworthy saying, Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the foremost, when you get to this line, it's got this clause in it. It's not a Santa Claus thing, it's got this clause, a sentence. When you get to this clause, right, it's got this line, I love it. Like, I nearly weep every time. God and sinners reconciled. Think of all the relationships, even relationships at Christmas, where you don't yet have reconciliation. What does being irreconciled feel like? What is it like in your experience? To be irreconciled to someone, and some of us have that, we all have that in our wider families or friendship circles, or for some reason, don't we? We have irreconciliation. It, it's, it's hard, isn't it? And we have a longing for the Lord Jesus to return to make all those wrongs right and somehow make all what is sad be cleared away by every tear by him. But can you imagine what it's like to live day to day where you're not reconciled to God, but then now know that if you turn to Jesus from your sin, you turn and trust in him, you have your life found in him, your joy found in him, you know your, his love for you, to sing God and sinners reconciled. Oh, hark the herald angels sing, sing it loud. Because what we have, friends, before where we had high hopes for ourselves on Christmas Day, this day of all days, no, 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 only to find ourselves disappointed and disappointing others, right here on Christmas Day, here's what we get now. Jesus Christ came to save you even on your worst day. Let's pray and thank him for that and then we're going to sing. Our gracious God, thank you for Jesus. Like seriously, thank you for the one who came to save us from our sins. This is not a pat prayer. This is not a response where we just tick a box. We pray with genuine thankfulness
we turn on this day of all days and trust in him. So that when we get to 9pm this evening or tomorrow or the days ahead, that we would remember on our worst day, the saying is trustworthy and true. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and we're the worst. Thank you for sending the best. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.